Good morning. Welcome to Bethany Lutheran here in Warren, Oregon. Today I am preaching on Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35, which read, Then Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never receive forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around me, said, Here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is an old saying that sometimes a person can't see the forest for the trees. The idea is that sometimes we become so wrapped up in one detail that we lose sight of the bigger picture. It's like a skit on a TV show. A man is obsessed with getting his tie knotted just so. He spends a meticulous, ridiculous amount of time in front of the mirror until the tie is perfect and he's gotten that small crease just below the knot. Satisfied that he now looks good, he walks out of the house, totally oblivious to the fact that his pants have a big rip right up the back side. What are you going to do? This fixation on a detail to the exclusion of the main point is often what happens when it comes to the third chapter of Mark. Many people have walked away from this chapter fretting to the depths of their souls over the so-called unpardonable sin. Verse 29, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. We worry as to exactly what that sin is. We worry that we may have accidentally committed this very sin. 
Many preachers have reassured their parishioners with the statement, if you're worried about this sin, then you didn't commit it. The sin is not a one-time slip-up. For the consequences to be this eternally severe, the person in question must be a hardcore anti-God figure who never accepts the Lord's work, even for a moment. If you had truly blasphemed the Holy Spirit, your heart would be so completely hardened against God that you wouldn't be worrying about whether God could forgive you. Now there's some good news, bad news here. The good news is that all kinds of sins and blasphemies can be forgiven. That is really good news. It means that no matter how badly you've sinned against God, God can still forgive you, even if the sin of blasphemy can be forgiven. Blasphemy means deliberately mocking or profaning God. So that's a pretty bad sin. Yet the Bible says that even blasphemy against Jesus can be forgiven. Here we come to the unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If other blasphemies can be forgiven, this one must be exceptionally bad to be singled out as an eternal sin that's beyond forgiveness. But what exactly is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, Mark tells us that Jesus spoke of this because the teachers of the law were saying he has an evil spirit. And so it would appear that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life to Satan. Such a hardening of the heart toward God's work in Christ through the Holy Spirit that you would call it the work of Satan is a blasphemy that cannot be forgiven. A few years ago, a certain atheist website presented what they called the Blasphemy Challenge, where they challenged people to upload YouTube videos of themselves denying the Holy Spirit. A whole lot of atheists accepted the challenge and uploaded their videos saying, I deny the Holy Spirit. It was meant to be shocking. But ironically enough, they were not actually blaspheming the Holy Spirit as Jesus defined it. I'm not sure if an atheist is even capable of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I mean, if blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means believing that Jesus was doing supernatural works by the power of Satan rather than God, how can you do that when you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, Satan, or God? What these atheists did is sad. It is wrong. And if they never come to Christ for forgiveness, they will be judged for their sin. But I do not believe they actually put themselves beyond God's forgiveness. Across the spectrum of life, there are any number of things that people may say or do that are flat out stupid. People face a choice of actions and choose the one that will hurt them the most. But if the third chapter of Mark shows us anything, it shows us the ultimate example of foolishness. 
The religious leaders have shown that they live in a spiritually upside down world. By their own choice, they have made darkness their light and have rejected the true light, even naming it as the worst form of darkness. In the opinion of the scribes, Jesus was himself a devil. But Jesus did his work not because he had the power of the devil, but because he'd already demonstrated power over the devil. In Mark 3, those who try to turn the work of God into the work of the devil show by doing so that they're already deeply enmeshed in a spiritually inverted reality, that there is no reaching them. Even if God came to such people bearing the sweet fragrance of his grace, all these people would smell would be the stink of a rotting corpse. They have come to believe that the gospel's elixir of life is strychnine, pure poison. What are you going to do? The Bible teaches us that there is a power in the world that takes a personal form a power against which we have no power of our own. The Bible calls this power Satan, and he's dedicated to deception and destruction. The Bible teaches that we are under the control of sin and death. We need help. But there's also another power loose in the world, the power of God. And it is greater than the power of Satan. Indeed, it crushes Satan and all his demons. Today is the anniversary of the D-Day landing in Normandy. This event would not have had to occur if people had looked more carefully at the world around them. If they had understood the evil that is in the world. Back in 1938, after Austria had been taken over by the Germans, after Czechoslovakia had been invaded, after Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, Prime Minister Chamberlain of England proclaimed that Hitler was a rather pleasant person, a person who really wanted peace, one that the Allies could bargain with in good faith. It simply wasn't so. And neither is the assertion that psychologists and teachers and counselors make about how the problems of the world will be cured when all people are fed and clothed and educated properly. Now, don't get me wrong. Feeding and clothing and educating are vital and noble causes, but they will not cure all the problems of this world. The German people in 1918 and again in 1939 were among the best fed, best clothed, and best educated in the world. And look what happened. World War I and World War II. And look at us today. According to the United Nations report, we are the second best country, after Canada, in the world in which to live in terms of food, clothing, shelter, education, health, and human rights. Yet are we free from suffering? Are we free of hatred and of senseless violence? Sometimes you've got to hear the bad news if you are to really understand the good news. And the bad news is this. 
We as human beings are sinful. Our wills are not completely our own. We are under the influence of an evil that is greater than us, an evil greater than that of ignorance and poverty. In fact, this evil is so strong that it thrives in the midst of education and wealth. What are you going to do? Well, now we're ready for the good news that God seeks us and wants us and that we can surrender ourselves to the control of God. We can enter into the kind of world that God planned for us from the very beginning. We do it by faith, by belief, and by walking in the ways of God revealed to us by Christ Jesus. When we come to faith in the message of Jesus Christ, we are made new creatures, day by day, bit by bit. We begin to share in the victory of Christ over sin and death and the evil one. The first temptation was when Satan asked Eve, did God really say not to eat the fruit? In the same way, Satan whispers in our ear, did Christ really say that he's the only way of salvation? That's rather arrogant. Did Christ really say that sex outside of marriage is wrong? That's rather rigid. Did Christ really say that I can't have revenge on those who abuse me? That's not fair. We hear Jesus speak to us, but Satan is always trying to tempt us to reject the word. The devil loves to whisper in our ears so that telling us we are so smart, we know better than that old dusty book. Those are old fashioned ideas. This is the 21st century, time for a paradigm shift. What are you gonna do? By nature, we want to listen to Satan's voice and be free of God's law. We are disobedient and disrespectful toward the very king of the universe. We try to ignore or twist his rules to suit what we want to do. May the Holy Spirit bend our unwilling knees in repentance. May he break us with his law in order to raise us again through the power of the gospel of Christ. For it is often when the burden of sin weighs heavily on us that the lifting of that burden makes us gasp with relief. We are the tax collectors, prostitutes, the adulterers, the liars, the drunkards, and the thieves. And that is why we join the crowd around Christ, desperate to hear him declare to us the forgiveness that he offers and the sonship that is ours by adoption. What are you going to do? There are times in life when you need to choose sides. We would rather straddle the fence, but there are certain times when you have to take a stand and choose your side. For example, if you're in the military, in the middle of a battle, you better know which side you're on. When your teen needs direction, 
You better be more concerned about their well-being than about being well-liked. However, there is no more important instance of choosing sides than when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So what are you going to do? You need to decide, because not deciding is deciding. You either choose to stand with Christ, or you have decided against him. Here's a clue. Jesus' side wins. Jesus showed his strength over Satan by binding the evil one and casting out demons. Satan cannot stand against Christ. I trust that none of you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you did, you probably would not be here today. And so there's still time for you to choose sides. What are you going to do? Whose side are you on? I pray that you will choose to stand with Christ because Christ has chosen to stand with you now and forever. Amen.